Martin Luther King Jr., in his letter from a Birmingham jail, says this. You express a great deal of... Oh, by the way, he's writing to... He's writing in response to a letter posted by a group of concerned people, citizens. Uh, I'm a little vague, but I believe if I'm remembering correctly... Um, a number of them might have been ministers, city councilmen, leaders, that, you know, that type. So this is a response to their letter of caution and concern. Let's not get crazy. You know, let's be thoughtful. Uh, by the way, if you haven't read that, it's, a, it's a really quite a piece of rhetoric. And it's worth reading. Um, so he says in his letter, toward, uh, I don't know, a number of pages in. You express a great deal of anxiety. So he's speaking to these people that wrote that letter of caution and concern. You express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. This is certainly a legitimate concern. Since we so diligently urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954 outlawing segregation in the public schools, it is rather strange and paradoxical to find us consciously breaking laws. One, well, one may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer is found in the fact that there are two types of laws. There are just laws and there are unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. St. Thomas Aquinas, in his writings, takes some time to deal with this idea of St. Augustine. Does a law made by man need to be obeyed? St. Paul seems to say so in our epistle lesson today. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And later, therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. This potentially sticky issue has been thought through before now. In fact, St. Peter thought it through very quickly, didn't he? From the book of the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 5, and when they had brought them, including Peter, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you? We gave you a law, so to speak. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. St. Augustine thought it through. St. Thomas Aquinas thought it through as well. His answer to the question, Does a law made by man need to be obeyed? was a qualified answer. It depends, basically. It needs to be obeyed if it meets three criteria. In other words, it is a binding and legitimate law that we are, as Christians, are bound to obey if it meets three criteria. One, the purpose. 
The law must be for the common good. To the author. It must be in the scope of the authority making the law. Three, the form. The burden should be equal and should apply to all equally. By the way, that's um, in Thomas's uh, Summa Theologica. Now that last point, the equality and, and applied equally to all, may ring a bell for you if you think back just recently to the COVID times, when many businesses were allowed to be open within certain limits, Let me say that again. Many businesses were allowed to be open with, within certain limits, or with certain limits, but churches in many places were shut down hard and fast. This is not an equal application of the law. Though, of course, to be clear, the COVID restrictions were not law, but executive rulemaking, which is allowed in certain contexts, based upon the law that outlines their authority. All of which opens a very large discussion, which I shall prudently avoid this morning. I started with the letter from the Birmingham jail for a reason. It was a time of unjust laws and very unjust, unequal treatment in these United States of America. And the letter is dated from August of 1963, not that long ago. It is often hard for us generation Xers and younger to understand the level of the lack of justice operating in America at that time. Especially those of us who have spent our lives or the majority of our lives on the West Coast I was horrified a number of years back to go through the new, at that time, Mississippi Civil Rights Museum in Jackson, Mississippi, and it was just newly opened in 2017, I believe. Well, it was probably opened a little bit before that. I knew of lynchings after the Civil War. I mean, we learned that the way in which America, American public society and culture handled the change in the laws and that uh, black people were no longer enslaved in our country. The way that our culture handled that over there in the South was often by hanging people, most often black people. And they would hang them from trees. And you've probably all seen some pictures here and there, particularly during our high school, college education. Mobs of white people would chase down and literally lynch men and women and young people. I think the, I think nine or ten was the youngest boy that I remember reading about that was lynched from trees or telephone poles or anything 
tall enough to work. And you stop and you go, wait a minute, we have pictures of this. Telephone poles, building. This is not the ancient past. When I looked it up, I was aghast to see the stats again, because when I saw the stats in the museum, it was overwhelming. Because there were stories associated with so many. Because there were stats for this region, this region, this state, this state. There were over 6,000 lynchings from the civil, after the Civil War to 1968, the year I was born. Unless we get too high and mighty not being from the South, between 1848 and 1860, yeah, it's 100 years ago. 150 years ago. White Americans lynched at least 163 Mexicans in California. On July 5th, 1851, a mob in Downeyville, California. Downeyville. I played basketball in Downeyville during my high school years. A mob in Downeyville, California lynched a Mexican woman named Josefa Segovia. She was accused of killing a white man who had attempted to assault her after breaking into her home. How many of us would blame any woman for killing a man who assaulted her in her own home today. The reality of unjust laws and unjust application of law that is supposed to apply to everyone equally was a reality in our, reality in our country for a long time and have and had reperco- major repercussions throughout the centuries of our country's existence and still has repercussions today even though in some sense the unjust laws have been fixed but there's still injustices done to minority people in our country And racial issues still are an issue in one way or another. Whether made up, imagined, pulled up, real. And I've seen lots of different versions of it. But unjust application of law that is supposed to apply to everyone equally was also a reality in the near distant past of our nation, culture, and society when we look at the COVID situation. We are called by St. Paul to obey the civil authority, to pay taxes, and to be model Christian citizens. My friends, that is our calling, and that is how we must live. But please do not be surprised when the government is antagonistic to you, not because of your skin color, but because of your religion, because of your Christian faith. We saw it happen just in the last three years. 
There may come a day where you have to obey God rather than man. And in many ways, if you think back to the California churches who signed the petition and got on board and said, Dear Governor Newsom, we are opening our churches on Pentecost of this year. We're not asking permission to do so. We're telling you that we're doing so. And not only did they have to obey God rather than man, they said, and we have a constitutional right to do so. And you know, we have legal advice and we know we're in the right as well. There may come a time where the right doesn't seem to be as apparent. Of course, Governor Newsom caved, and the week before that gave permission to all churches. I had an interesting conversation with our sheriff in the, I don't know, a month or so before Pentecost, and said, look, we need to open our church. Not trying to be a pain in the rear end. I'm just saying this is important. And his response was, I know, I know this is a constitutional issue. And we're going to try to not deal with churches because we know you have this right. Please follow all the rules. Please, you know. And, and I had talked with him enough that he understood. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid of what we're doing. I talked with other county people. And I think it is meet and right as we have to say, hey, we're, you know, we've got some concern here. It is meet and right to try to find common ground and try to find the balance and say, look, this is what we're... We may have to say, literally, look, I have to obey God and not you when we're talking to someone in authority. So it is meet and right to do our utmost to obey the authority and to work within the bounds of the law. Um, But we know that there are people out there right now. um, Jack Phillips, the baker from Colorado... Whether you agree with his conscious conscience perspective or not, whether you, you might say, I would just bake the cake, you can't judge another man's conscience in that sense. I mean, he, his conscience said, I can't do it. And so it's been over a decade since he's been fighting lawsuits, and it went to the Supreme Court, and he won. And even before, I, th- I think it was even before it made it to the Supreme Court and he won, someone else had um, tricked, tricked him, you know, had played, well, I'm transgendering, I want a cake uh, to celebrate my transgender thing, whatever, my becoming a boy from a girl or a girl from a boy. And he said, I can't do that in good conscience. And so sued him again. And now, um, and now that's in the courts. And, you know, I mean, he's been going through this for over a decade. And he's probably someone we should be praying for, Right. Um, and it's happened to many people. It's, it's, it's ongoing. So I'm not trying to say the sky is falling. I'm just saying it's already happening. Don't be surprised when. And it's probably going to be something minor. It's going to be something that, you know, makes you maybe uncomfortable in a social situation or what have you. Uh, there are times the, I, the, the stories that I'm hearing from people are, and hearing in the news and in the media, Christian media anyways, you're at a social gathering of your community and the MC for the event 
is a man in drag, and it's a family event. Leaving the event is going to be very clear to many people. <laughs> now, I think if Christians would do this in mass in these sorts of situations and not feel socially awkward, and well, let's just take the kids over there and let's just put up with this. I think if, if Christians would in mass just say, no, we're saying no to this, I think the great majority of the non-Christians out there are thinking the same thing. And, and we would give them, oh, well, yeah, I'm joining them. So our culture is in a very strange place to most of us older people. The younger people are going, this looked like this all my life. Uh, but it's getting stranger and weirder, it seems to us older people, day by day even. So let us remember, there may come a day when we have to obey God rather than man in very little spots everywhere. But it may also become a much bigger spot. And it may cost us a job. And it may cost, uh, who knows? I mean, it's not going to be surprising the way we're going to see priests and clergy being thrown into jail uh, at the front end of it. Um, and, and, and people in you know, vocational ministry, nonprofits, and things like that. Um, so there may come a day when we have to face this personally, but until that day comes, and even after that day comes, may we all be valuable citizens of America because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen.